God. The Bible says that you are love, and I believe that. I really believe that. But I've got questions like, what about Rich and Karen who love you and whose 16-year-old daughter drove into a pole and died? And what about David who put his faith in you and trusts you? He took his son out surfing and a shark attacked his son and his son died in his arms on the beach. And what about the couple who prays and prays for a child? They want to be godly parents, but they cannot get pregnant. And then there's a girl who parties every weekend and now is on her sixth abortion. Why is life so unfair? Why is there so much pain in this world, God? And it's not just the big traumatic things, it's the small stuff too, because none of it seems small. The problems at work, the fact that I can't pay my bills, the difficulties in my relationships, I don't get it. I know your love, but you also seem so unfair. What do I do about that, God? Good morning, guys. Welcome to One Church. My name's Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, in the next month, we're really going to be tackling some difficult questions and some really some struggles that I think all of us deal with. Because really, at the end of the day, many of us have questions. If you, how many of y'all have children? You know your children ask you some really jacked up difficult questions, don't you? I mean, when my children ask me the question, you know, why is the sky blue, daddy? And I'm like, I don't know. Go ask your mother, right? Or where do babies come from, daddy? Go ask your mother, right? I'm serious. It's just like, those are difficult questions. And you would think as, you know, when we're in our 20s, 30s, 40s, we would have answers to those questions. But many times we just don't. And here's the hard thing about that. When we get older, the questions get more difficult to answer. God, where are you when bad things happen? Why do you allow bad things to happen? Why do you allow thousands of people to die because of a tsunami or because of an earthquake in Japan? Why do you, where were you when this gunman went into a school in Connecticut and 26 people lost their lives? Where are you then, God? We ask difficult questions like, why did my marriage fall apart? Why did, you know, I honor God with my finances and my, I give and, and I can't make ends meet and I lose my job, but th this other Yahoo doesn't care anything about you and how he does with his money and he is getting a raise. Uh, how is it, God, that this person, this really good godly person who has three boys that, that, that she dies at 42 with cancer? And this guy lives to be 102, and he is just, he's a hell on wheels. Why is that, God? Where are you when depression hits and the bottom drops out financially? Where are you and why do you allow a guy to come home from Afghanistan and he's more broken once he got back than when he went? He's, he's struggling with images and emotions and feelings. Where are you, God, and why did you allow that guy who came back from deployment and the lady is waiting and waiting for her one true love and he gets back and says, I don't love you anymore. 
Why does that happen? Why does that happen? Those are tough questions. You know, so many times people say that to be a Christ follower, to be a Christian and go to church, you can't ask tough questions. You can't have any questions. You only have to have answers. That in order for you to be able to be a good Christian, you got to have it all figured out. That there's Bible verses like, thou shalt not doubt. Thou shalt not have questions. That, and if you do have questions, the answer is, it's Jesus. But what happens when that doesn't add up that way? What happens when there's too much month at the end of the salary? What happens when you've done things all the right way and things have not turned out the way you think they should have turned out? And you have questions. That whole idea that to be a Christian means you can't question, let me tell you, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's called bunk. Because i got to be honest with you, I am a Christian, and I have a lot of questions. There's some things that's happened to me personally that I'm going to share with you today that didn't add up. And I still am left with questions. And some of you, you may have the exact same thing. And the whole premise of this series, The Dip, is that all of us, we have experienced a dip in our relationship with God, that we've experienced these low points. And the whole premise of the book that we're going to be looking at today called the book of Habakkuk, you need to go ahead and start looking now. Good luck finding that one. I'm just telling you. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after Joel. That should help you. It's like a three-chapter book. You need to go to those very spiritual section in your Bible called the Table of Contents. And you need to find, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we give away Bibles for free. By the way, Habakkuk is on page 712 of the One Church Bible. I'll give you a heads up. And really the premise of the entire book of Habakkuk is, why does God seem unfair? And we're going to see this guy by the name of Habakkuk stand before God with his anger, his frustration, and with questions, and he ask a lot of questions. And some of us, we would think, well, he must not be very spiritual. No, he is. He's actually written a book of the Bible. It's called Habakkuk. Thanks for coming to one church, right? All right. Now, I mean, in Habakkuk asks these questions, God, why doesn't, why don't things seem fair? Let me tell you, we know very little about this guy by the name of Habakkuk. Here's what we know about him. He was probably a temple musician, so he probably p- played on the worship team, probably drums, we don't know, all right? We know that a little bit later in his life, he becomes a priest and he becomes a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? Well, a prophet is somebody who speaks for God. And let me explain a little bit how that works out. You know, during this time, uh, Habakkuk lived around 600 BC. Um, during this time, there wasn't a completed Bible. See, some of you could go home and you have Bibles on your bookshelves or on the, the big coffee table, maybe one of those big honking Bibles, Right? And there's, there's 66 books in that Bible. Well, during this time, there wasn't all of those books written yet. So because there wasn't a Bible written that everybody had, God would take this guy or take this lady, and he would say, you're going to be my mouthpiece. And they would go and they would tell everybody what God is saying. Now, here's the thing. The weird thing about Habakkuk, Habakkuk, all the other prophets, God speaks to them and they speak to the people. 
Habakkuk doesn't speak to the people. Habakkuk has a problem with God, and he speaks directly to God. Habakkuk is really back-talking God, and even though we get frustrated with our children, do you know that God never, ever gets frustrated when we ask questions of him? Never. The book of Psalms, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible. It's the biggest book in the Bible. Did you know one-third of those Psalms are questions? God, why? God, how are you going to do this? God, when are you going to actually do something? God, what are you going to do? And, you, and it's just people asking questions. Now, here's the thing about the word Habakkuk. You know, we say we all have names, and sometimes your names don't mean anything. Well, back in the biblical times, they chose names because they meant something. Here's the word Habakkuk. It means, everybody say Habakkuk, by the way. That's a fun word. There's two Ks in there. I'm just saying Together, not, you know. Habakkuk, his name means to embrace or to wrestle. That's what the word Habakkuk means. And we're going to watch Habakkuk wrestle with God with some really difficult circumstances and difficult questions. We're going to see him wrestling with God through some really hard times. And we're going to see when you wrestle something out with God, it's still intimacy with God. You see, some of you are here, and you're wrestling some really difficult situations out. And I just want to say very clearly, when something happens that is cataclysmic in your life, you can wrestle that out with God. He will give you permission. This idea that we can't question God or we can't, no, no, no. And that's our big idea today, that God says this, be honest, be honest. Everybody say, be honest. Be honest in our conversations with God. He gives us permission to struggle with our faith. He gives us permission to wrestle with our faith. You see, there's a very fine line between embracing and wrestling. And as long as you're still wrestling the thing out with God, you're still face-to-face with our arms on God, you can't wrestle somebody that you're not touching. You can't. So my encouragement, some of you, you're dealing with some dark times, and you're in that dip of belief and that crisis of faith that Henry Blackaby says. I'm just telling you, you keep on putting your arms on God and wrestling him, and even wrestling is a form of intimacy because embrace or to wrestle, God is saying us to do both. All right. Now, let me tell you, before we get into the sermon, this is not going to be a sitcom sermon. Y'all know what a sitcom is? How many of y'all like watching sitcoms? All right, some of my favorite sitcoms, all right, there's Brady Bunch, The Cosby Show, Full House, Facts of Life, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's my, come on, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince in the house. I love some DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. I love me some of that. I'm telling you, I, I, love, I, I love all of these sitcoms because what a sitcom is is this. You got 30 minutes, and there, you know, there's some relational tension somewhere. There's something happening in there, and you add a little bit of humor. There's some tension to the plot. But within 30 minutes, including the commercials, everything is neatly tied up in a bow, and all of the relational tension and problems are solved. My life ain't like that. Is your life like that? Negatory ghostwriter. Absolutely. And let me tell you, Habakkuk isn't like that as well. So if you're wanting a really nice, neat sermon, and when you're going to go, whoo, it ain't going to happen today. Just telling you. In fact, it's not even going to happen next week. 
It's the third week when we're going to be in this series of the dip that something finally happens with this guy by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 1.1 says this. This is the message of the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. All right? The word message can be also translated as burden, and that's exactly what this message is. It's a burden, Habakkuk. And this is what it says in verse 2. How long... Oh, Lord, must I call for help? Somebody say, how long? How long? That's a question. And he's asking it to God. Habakkuk is asking God, how long am I going to talk to you, God, and you don't help me? Keep on going. But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. God, you don't seem to care. God, I'm calling, I'm crying out to you, and you're not answering my prayer. God, I'm singing mighty to save, but you're not saving. What are you doing? Habakkuk is asking these tough questions to God. Look at verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? You asked that question before, hadn't you? God, if you're so good, why do you allow bad things to happen? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. For some of you, that is your home life right there. Strife and conflict abounds. In other words, he's saying in our day and age, okay, God, I just don't get it. I mean, there's this drunk driver that crashed into a car and killed an innocent person, and the drunk, and the drunk driver walked away with no scrapes. Or there's this girl who's kind of goes from bed to bed, and she keeps on getting pregnant and keep on having abortion after abortion and get rid of the children. And then you have this godly couple who longs to have a child, but who cannot conceive. Why, God? That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. You don't seem fair. What do you have to say for yourself, God? Verse 4. The law has become paralyzed, Habakkuk says, and there is no justice in the courts. All right? Some of you, what I'm getting ready to say is this is, there are going to be people on both sides of the fence. Injustice hasn't happened. I mean, some of you, if I asked about the George Zimmerman trial, some of you, I know, I just heard, dear Lord, right? Some people are going to say, no, this shouldn't happen or this should have happened. I, I'm not saying that other way. I'm just saying, where is justice? Because that is so divisive. And I've seen some of your comments on Facebook. And the thing of it is, this is the same time that we're living in today. Where is justice? Where is the law? Where is the courts? The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Man, as far as I can see, Habakkuk saying there's nothing turning out fair. Nothing is coming out right. And when you look at the scripture again, he's just questioning God. And we all have this time where we're disappointed in God. This is a book by Philip Yancey entitled Disappointment with God. Listen to what he says. He says this. No one is immune to the downward spiral of disappointment. It happens to people like the televangelists and to people like the letter writers, and it happens to the ordinary Christians. First comes disappointment, then a seed of doubt, then a response of anger or betrayal, and we begin to question whether or not God is trustworthy, whether he can really, we can really stake our lives upon him. And some people, when they get to this point, they just walk away from God. What they believe, they stop believing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know all those people like that. 
In fact, this is what it says. I'm going to continue reading. You know, some people, when they just walk away from God, or when we, we start doubting, we call those atheists. But listen, this is what he says. True atheists do not, I presume, feel disappointment with God. They expect nothing and receive nothing from God, they believe. But those who commit their lives to God, no matter what, instinctively expect something in return. Are those expectations wrong? You see, we all have this idea that if we obey God, if we do things right, then he's going to treat us right. What happens when that doesn't work out that way? I want to show you a graph up here. And this is where we get the entire series is called The Dip, because here's where all of us have been. If you're a Christ follower in here, there was at one time when, when God was so fresh and so close to you, and you were like on this spiritual high, and every time you came to the church, it's like the preacher was talking directly to you, and man, he was so good, or she was so good, and the worship team was so good, and the songs were amazing, and every time you open the Bible, it's like, oh! I mean, the angels are singing, Shekinah glorious. I mean, you're singing Kumbaya. It's a good time. And then life happens. And you get in what we call the dip. You come to church and the preacher stinks. And, you, man, what's wrong, with the, what's wrong with those songs they sing? And how come they got to turn it up so loud? And, and, and every time I read my Bible, I'm not getting nothing out of it. And, and, and it's like, where is God during those times? And you pray to God, and it's like your prayers go like to right here. They don't go all the way up there. They go right to here, and they just bounce back. And you're like, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? And we become disappointed, disillusioned with God because we feel so far away from him. Dips come. Dips happen. There's a, there's a bumper sticker for you. Dips happen. Our big idea, we have to be honest in our conversations with God. He gives us permission to struggle out our faith with him. You know, here's the thing. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's just me and you. God is all-knowing. The church you word for that is, is that he is omniscient. All right? He knows everything. Now, if he knows everything, if he knows that you're doubting and you have struggles and you have questions, he knows it. So why not just be honest and verbalize that to him? And Habakkuk that out. Struggle that out. Wrestle that out. This is what James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 says. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be a what? Opportunity for what? I don't know what that dude was smoking when he wrote that. I'm just saying. But you know what? It's true. Why? Because let me tell you, here's the thing. James, this is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this, he knows something that you and I don't. You see, what we want is we want physical comfort, but God is going, okay, your physical comfort's all right, but what I want is I want an opportunity for you to have joy. And how that's going to happen is when your faith is what? Tested. You see, faith doesn't get tested when times are good, does it? It doesn't. We're all happy. Who needs faith when, you know, when the, the Dow Jones is up? And when you got a job and when you got, you know, when you get to the end of the month and you got thousands of dollars left in the check account, right? Who needs faith? But flip that and get in that dip. And then it's like, Jesus, Lord Jesus, Jesus, right? 
and we, and we start talking to God. Why? Because our faith is tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Maybe the reason why God allows us to get in the dip and for us to allow to experience those doubts in, in dissonance, in questions, in the unknown, is so that it's during those dips that God wants our faith to grow. That's what he wants. You know, this book of Habakkuk is so dear to Kim and I. And I'll tell you the reason why. Some of you have heard this story, and I'm going to apologize that I'm repeating it. But... um. I will tell you, I, in some of my deepest, darkest days of ministry, I have lived the dip. And I've lived having those questions of, God, you don't seem fair. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, before one church was started, um, I was pastoring a very small church in the Midwest, in a very small town of about 4,000. It was a family church. You might know what a family church is. A family church is when one family controls the church. That's a problem, all right? I, I didn't know, I didn't have enough sense to know that was going to be an issue. But we moved there. It was about 30 people in this family church. Just one family is the one who called the shots and all this stuff. And you know what? We were there for five years, and we saw that church grow. And that, that 30 people at one point got to 500 people. And get this, our last year there, we baptized 136 people. It was amazing. God was doing some amazing things. But here's the thing. The problem is is that, the, is that the church grew. And because the church grew, that family who ran the church, they felt threatened. And Kim and I, we became fearful. And we fearful that we might lose our job. Fearful that I, I, that I was afraid uh, because I didn't want any of these people to get hurt. So Kim and I, we, man, we struggled through this. What are we going to do? Do we leave? Well, we kind of saw the handwriting on the wall. But we decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to a conference together. So we went to Kansas City, Missouri, and I, me and my wife went to a women's conference. That's the problem, because I am the ugliest woman you have ever seen. All right? I go to Kansas City to this women's conference. It's a Beth Moore conference. And there are 15,500 people at this women's conference, and one of them happened to be a guy. And that was me. And let me tell you what happened this, we were, Beth Moore asked this question, what is your everyday fear and what is your greatest fear? And, and she looked over at me and she says, I want one of these guys over here. There's me and another guy, our youth pastor. And uh, me and, uh, so I got up and three other women got up and, you know, they start talking about their fears and then Beth Moore comes to me and she says, what's your, what's your everyday fear? And I says, it's not being able to provide for my family. She says, what is your greatest fear? And I said, harming the body in the church of Christ. She says, you're a pastor? And I'm like, yes, ma'am. So she gives me a big hug. <laughs> so I get off stage, and she starts teaching. And over the next three days, with her teaching, she would be teaching to these 15,500 women, and then she would say, and Chris, this is what God wants me to tell you. And I would stand up like, you know, oh my gosh. And then she would teach, 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 and Chris, this is what God's wanting me to tell you. I, no lie, this happened no fewer than 20 times. So much so that my friend, youth pastor, who came with me, he leaned over and says, I think all these women are getting ticked at you because God has a word for you and he ain't talking to them. <laughs> no lie. 
So much so, let me tell you, she taught for three, for three sessions, and I'm going to let you listen to a portion of one of the sessions that she taught. And this is just one little section of three. And here's a picture that they took of Beth Moore with me and my wife, and listen to this. Kansas City, September 2005. What if I suggested to you that God came to meet with us in this place this weekend to set 15,500 people free of a spirit of fear. I wonder if anybody in this room has a fear problem besides me. What are your everyday, your day in, day out fears? So Chris, it has become Satan's job to plant in your life and in your experience and in your godly ear continually, you will end up failing your family and your congregation. That's Satan's job. When our enemy figures out, Chris, what we are most afraid in this whole wide world that we really are, see, I know about this one. My brother Chris, you cannot make your congregation do anything. You get to fire yourself over that. You can pray for them too. You can motivate them too. But you can't make them. I want to share with you a story. And Chris, you inspired this story. This is for us, brother. I so know what you're talking about, the fear of failure. And I had a very odd thing happen. I wrote about it in Believing God, but I'm going to tell you about it because I just think I'm praying it will speak a word to my, to my brother Chris, and I pray that many of you in here would hear this as well. And here's what the Lord was saying to me, Chris. You may be afraid you're going to fail me, but you just hang on tight to me because I won't fail you. You just make sure you do not let go. You don't look to the right and you don't look to the left. You just hang on to me as tight as you can, Chris. I will not fail you. I will not fail you. I will not fail you. Even today when I listen to that, I just get emotional. Because we went needing a word from God and it was obvious <laughs> that he was speaking to me. <laughs> Let me tell you, th this is what's amazing about that. Um, that happened in September of 2005. It was probably the first weekend in September. By September 20th, I got a call from that one family, and I was fired from that church. I had not done anything wrong. This family felt threatened. And I had fasted, and I had prayed, and I had talked to God. I, I felt like we had heard from that weekend with me and my wife and Beth Moore, um, and some of the other people that were there happened to be there, um, that for us to not run, you know, she said at the very, very end, she says, you may fail God, but God will not fail you. I got to be honest with you, I felt like he had. I felt like we had gotten kicked in the teeth by the church. And where was God during that time? Why did God allow that to happen? I remember telling my oldest son, he's running the words up here. He was, at, he was probably six years old at the time. He said, Dad, can we go back to that church? And I said, no, we can't. He says, well, all my friends are there. And I said, all of my friends are there as well. And we, I was just angry at God. And still, even to this day, even though this was, this was 2005, this is eight years later, I still sometimes struggle having faith in God because of what happened back then. 
And it left me with a lot of questions. And it left me in the bottom of that dip where I was just ticked. And through that entire time, I tell you, I'm going to go ahead and kind of share this because if I don't, we're all going to leave here and go, my God, that was really depressing. (laughs) If that hadn't happened to me, just to let you know, after I had gotten fired, the next month, a church here in Clarksville, the church that I grew up in, called me and said, would you be interested in starting a church for people who don't go to church? People who maybe have been hurt by the church? You know, up to that point, the church had never hurt me. I'd only had really good experiences with Christians. And I realized that sometimes Christians can be downright mean. And looking back on that, I was just in the bottom of a well. I was in the bottom of the dip. Here's the thing. When you're at the bottom of the dip, the first thing you lose is perspective. The first thing you lose is perspective. And you think it's never going to get any better. And, you, and, you, and, and, and many times it's easy when we get in that depression to just say, I'm going to end it. That is, I think, exactly how Habakkuk felt. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. God answers Habakkuk and he says this. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own days, something that you would not believe, even if someone told you about it. In other words, God's saying, when I tell you this, what you're going to do, you're not going to like this. And then in verse 6, he says this, I am raising up the Babylonians. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people, and they will march across the world and conquer other lands. I mean, the Babylonians were more wicked than the Israelites who were sinning. They were more wicked. And by the way, you know where Babylon is, don't you? It's modern-day Iraq. Verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. And here's the story. Habakkuk, you're, you're kind of bad. Well, they are much worse. And I know all of you hate them, but I'm going to use them to discipline you. And Habakkuk is scratching his head going, what are you talking about, Willis? What? What? As we close today, some of you, you are right in the middle of chapter 1 of your faith. You're right in the middle of Habakkuk chapter 1. And you're like, God, this is what I think you should have done and you didn't do. And you may be frustrated. You may be disappointed. You may be disillusioned. The expectations you have with God have been dashed. And the thing that I want to leave you today is just to be honest with your conversations with God. That's what he wants, honesty. Be honest with him. It's okay to struggle with your faith. He gives us that permission. Again, just as Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and embrace, he gives you permission to wrestle and embrace and and work this stuff out with him. That's okay. That's okay. And as we end today, I'm telling you, I'd encourage you to come back next week because things are still going to be kind of bad. His circumstances isn't going to change that much. But when we get to chapter 3, and if you want to go ahead and read ahead, you can. If you get to chapter 3, you're going to see that his circumstances doesn't change, but Habakkuk changes. And that may be the whole reason 
that God allows us to go through dips. That he has chosen, you know what? I'm just going to be honest with God. I'm going to wrestle this thing out with God. I'm going to hang on to God. I'm going to be, I'm going to embrace God. Even when I don't like it, even sometimes when I don't even like him and the answers, I am going to choose to hang on to God. And when you choose to hang on to God, he will not leave you nor forsake you. He will hang on to you. He will. So my encouragement to you, if you're in chapter one right now, if you're in the dip, just keep on wrestling God. Keep on embracing him. Keep on struggling with him. He will show you something in those dips of life and your faith will begin to grow. Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, I specifically pray for those who are in chapter one right now, God. Lord, that you would hold on to them. Lord, that you would give them a faith. Even though clouded with doubts and questions, God, you would continue to hold on to them, God. Some of you would say, I, I'm facing things that don't make sense. I have, a, I have a strong faith maybe at once, but now it's getting a little weak and it's getting rattled. And I'm trying to hang in there. With us still praying, some of you would say, yeah, I know, I really believe, but man, I don't know what to do with this, and I don't know how to reconcile, and I don't know how to fix this. If that's you, if you're just struggling, would you just lift your hand just so I can pray for you? All right, I see you. Okay. All right. Let's pray for you right now. God, for those people right now who are struggling, and they don't see how it's all going to work out, and Lord, they're in the dip. God, I pray that right now, Lord, that your grace, that your love would start to permeate their life. And Lord, that they would be able to see and get perspective in this dark place that they're in right now, God. Lord, that you care for them, that you have not left them, that you've not forsaken them. God, help us to trust in you. No matter what we see, to trust in you, God, and to wrestle this stuff out. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to hang on to you, God. Some of you, you're just struggling because things doesn't seem fair. And you're just really doubting in your relationship with even God right now. And you're trying to figure out, how is it all going to work out? I tell you, it works out. And how it works out is because Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. And for some of you, you're in that dip, and maybe the reason why God has allowed you to experience that dip is so that you would be able to run into the arms of a God who loves you. So for you, right now, if you just want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can pray a prayer just like this one. God, I know that I can't do it on my own. I know, God, that I'm struggling and I'm, I'm just lost. And I have so many questions, God. But right now, I choose, I choose you. I choose to have a relationship with you. I choose to wrestle this out with you. And God, I pray that you would come and to forgive me of my sins and to make me clean and pure and whole. Thank you for hearing this prayer. And Lord, I, tr I believe and I trust in you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.